0: Periodically, we like to share our Nightcap product, which is an audio thing we create just for Partially Examined Life supporters, with the rest of the world. So you can see what you're missing, you can see how good it is. Nightcap is where we get casual, where we anticipate future episodes, maybe talk about audience feedback, riff on philosophical topics that we're not currently covering on the show, which I thought, given all this Hegel, we really needed right now. We record these just about every other week, releasing them between the episodes And you can get all of them in a variety of ways that you can read about at partiallyexaminedlife.com slash support. Or if you're right now using Apple Podcasts, just go to the main screen for this podcast and there should be a subscribe button right there that will let you purchase your access to all our member content right from the App Store. Hope you enjoy this. Hey, this is the Partially Examined Life Nightcap for August 16th, 2021. How's everybody doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Fantastic. What's in your philosophical imaginations today? Oh,
1: I'm just trying to figure out how, without the constraints of PEL, to continue plowing forward on the phenomenology.
0: Really? Well, you should do a seminar like I did. Force yourself to read some of it out loud. Start where our last episode ends and schedule it for just after the third one comes out, maybe.
2: Is this one of those classic things of... You have to figure out how to get yourself to do the thing that you most want to do.
1: Well, I guess if it's a question of prioritization, the answer is yes. I just uh, there's just too much going on. I don't, especially as as we prep for the next episode and all parenting and work and stuff like that. It's just I just don't have any bandwidth for extracurricular activities right now. And we're uh, we're going through the stress of dealing with the fact that we live in insane fascist. I won't say Texas is fascist. I say the governor is authoritarian and idiotic. So today's teacher-parent conference before school goes back in session, and you know he outlawed independent school districts or school districts or schools mandating masks, and they defied him. And now it's at the Texas Supreme Court has issued a stay, saying that the schools cannot mandate masks. It's a freaking mess. So we pulled our kid out of her preschool and because there's no ICU beds hardly left in the state anyway. And we're terrified of something happening to her or to my parents. And so we're going back into our COVID shell, which from a mental health perspective is, let's just say, not great. So that's not philosophical, I guess, unless you want to talk about individual liberty, quote unquote, individual liberty versus the problem of the commons or the common good or what have you, or...
0: I don't think what you're talking about rises to the level that we should <laughs> respect it with some <laughs> relevant philosophical discussion.
1: Yeah. I don't disagree with that. Um, I guess
0: I did have a political thing that's been on my mind. Just a simple, I know, you know, the whole voting rights thing is coming to a head and it just seems like Congress is not going to do anything because they feel like they can't. As much as I don't like all these anti voting laws and things like that, just gerrymandering. Like, is it possible? Has there ever been a case? Where Congress has like, instead of lumping a bunch of shit together in a package, which I know is what they normally have to do to please everybody, but just have a one paragraph bill that says gerrymandering is not fair. It is clearly not what anybody intended when giving the states the power to set their own election regulations. No gerrymandering. Pass that. Just argue over that. I don't want to hear of any, make everything else into a separate bill. That's fine. Is that just too naive to think that they could just do a simple bill for something? Not that that is even more likely to pass than any of the rest of it. Maybe it's not, but at least there's a, a, just such a clear-cut case to be made that gerrymandering is cheating. It doesn't matter who does it.
2: Well, you're asking two questions there, right? I mean, one is just the, is the formal process of Congress such that a one-paragraph bill could get passed if, if they're or submitted in terms of process? I actually don't know. My gut feeling is that, yes, there have been bills that have been passed that are incredibly focused and short, but my guess is that that is the exception rather than the rule.
0: You know, National Arbor Day or whatever, you know, whenever they, it's not like probably there's a 45-page bill behind setting up a new holiday or something. Probably not. Or let's honor that, you know, this group. Yeah. (laughs) So write your congressperson. I don't know. It all seems useless. I have some other things, but what, I want to hear what you guys brought to the table today.
1: I still have this, I don't know how to access it. And when I say access it, I mean as a subject, but I still would like to try to find a way to do something around music. I mean, I know that, Mark, you have your whole thing, and Dylan's a musician, and I don't know about Wes, but I'm not, but... Maybe in aesthetics. We haven't done aesthetics. Well, I won't say we haven't done aesthetics in a while, but I think it would be fun to try to find some kind of text that was accessible to a layperson like me that would talk about music and philosophy uh, and aesthetics.
0: I mean, I have the one that I mentioned before that is the thing that I was ready to do on the aesthetic education of man from Friedrich Schiller. I like so, that. the same era that we've been doing with the german idealist but he is not shaler he is schiller a different person mm-hmm. uh and there's also i even have a guest lined up whenever we want to do john dewey art as experience so those are the two if if you guys are excited about one of those I or have for another schiller. suggestion
1: okay i'm down with that
3: uh,
0: i would like to do both
3: we could do both yeah i'm mm-hmm. thinking we should do uh both foyer is that how you pronounce it
0: Oh yeah, let's talk about our philosophy of science thing.
3: And lac- lactose L- lactose <laughs> lactose lactose lactose. I'm
0: laca- lactose intolerant. Mm-hmm. Uh yes, so I think that is what we're set to do unless somebody has an objection as soon as we're done with this uh, one with law on Derek Bell, which is what we're prepping for now. So yeah, do you have a was that lactose selection that I put did you get a chance to look at that or anything or I read that paper and I read the Stanford encyclopedia
3: article and then I read a little bit of against method and then Feuerbach's. bonds I hope I'm pronouncing that right (laughs) encyclopedia article so yeah I mean they're both very engaging writers it'd be nice to stay with the subject for two episodes and Mm -hmm. they are you know they were friends and they they're good friends who disagreed with each other in the sense that Feuerbund wanted to go farther than Lakatos in his, I don't know if it's skepticism, but anyway, Lakatos is kind of responding to Popper and gives very, very strong and kind of in hindsight, obvious reasons why falsifiability does not work at all. And then Feuerbund thinks he's too conservative in his critique, essentially. And so they're good And Firebond, you know, could be accused of relativism almost. So he has a whole semantic theory as well associated with his approach. And so they're a good counterpoint to each other, I think, even though they're on the same track in a way. So it'll be informative to do them in comparison.
0: Part of the reason that I brought this up again, we've been harassed repeatedly, at least since September 2019. I see this guy, Chris, reached out to us and he's going to maybe start his, or maybe he has already, his own podcast just on philosophy of science. And he had sent a list, I see. So the, uh, we'll learn to, whether it's Feuerabend or Feuerabend or Feuerabend. <laughs> feuerabend. Feuerabend. Anyway, I, in addition to that, Quine, the web of belief, he recommended. Sellers, sense perception and reality. Sellers, givenness and explanatory coherence. Maybe that's overlaps with what we already did on him.
3: I'd be willing to do a whole series. I mean, because we're touching different figures.
0: Yeah, Hempel, Aspects of Scientific Explanation and Other Essays in the Philosophy of Science, and several others. There's a Conceptual Foundations of Quantum Field Theory by Tian Yu Cao, CAO, and What is Life by Erwin Schrodinger. Oh, I've read them. That.
2: That's a widely varying set of philosophy of science topics, too.
0: Yes, yeah, so this was not like, let's cover all these in one episode. This was like him demonstrating his breadth of knowledge. One thing to keep in mind is there's going to
2: be at least two big things. One would be philosophy of science that has to do with something like with the Lakatos and Feyerabend.
3: Okay, it's fire a bend, Fireabend. So I just found, I just looked that up, Fireabend.
2: One theme will be the conversation between Fireabend and Lakatos regarding scientific method and scientific adjudication about the truth in the world and stuff like that. And in that category, you know, there'll be offshoots, like about the nature of scientific laws and whether they're abiding and, you know, you go down metaphysical routes there. But then there's going to be very specific sort of, you know, philosophy of science as interpretations of science. That's where like quantum mechanics stuff comes in. You know, how do I understand, you know, what kinds of entities and things and what is it saying about the world? And it's sort of more of an interpretive exercise. All of those are interesting, but they are different kinds of things. I like the idea of starting with fire a and a lack of choice
3: i'd like to do uh just something on the philosophy of causality and then something on what is an explanation including scientific explanation but broader like what does it mean to explain something
0: those are all really good all right well that's a thing to think about and yes and let's get some aesthetics in there by the end of the year and i want to Still do Lao Tzu, if we can get that guest that we were talking to, or that's at least the next non-Western thing I have at the top of mind. And it's so different than the Indian philosophy thing that we did that I don't feel like that is duplicative whatsoever.
2: We were talking about a bridge episode that maybe, Mark, you weren't so interested in, and I'd brought up philosophy of sport. So there's actually a Stanford Encyclopedia article about philosophy of sport, which is sort of a survey of all the possible things in there, you know. Cheating and ethics of sports, drugs and sports, you know, stuff like that. I haven't gotten as far as surveying the bibliography yet for what would be particularly interesting. But I did kind of wonder if you guys had inclinations in that universe of thinking about sport oriented questions, which direction you want to go. I would say one big thing, I think, is the question of participating in sport versus watching sport where you get a little bit of fan question in there and how the line between entertainment versus, you know, the sport as the activity, there's aesthetics. But Do you guys have any thoughts on it?
1: I'd be up for it. Many years ago, I started to collect a list of books about being a fan. And I was thinking about and doing an analysis of what it means to identify with a sports team from your region, like just the identity aspect of it and what you get out of it and why is it that you feel connected and why is it you can't divorce and why is it some people don't care one way or the other that other people do probably more psychological i guess than philosophical but i have lots of you know i'm a pretty dedicated sports fan in some respects i have been in the past so i will tell you if you wanted to shannon has a friend who's a writer and he was an i don't know if he still is was an mma Fighter, or maybe it was boxing, one of the two, and he wrote a book called "Why We Fight," talking about you know his process of training and the deprivation associated with training in order to get in, and the experience of fighting. You know, it was all about like getting to this point of actually getting into a ring to have this semi mortal encounter with (laughs) the other being, and that might be you know if you want to talk about going that direction. I'm sure I could get him to come on and talk about the experience. And if you wanted to talk about that, might be maybe something more for combat. Is it for reciprocal recognition? Is that the answer? You have to wrestle, wrestle your self-consciousness away from the other.
3: So it's the master slave dialectic made concrete.
2: Yep. I guess those are to me two interesting, but different directions, right? One is talking about competition and what is competition serving for us? The difference between individual sport competition and being the one in it and team sport competition. But I think being a fan and a spectator and talking about spectator versus participant is a pretty different tack to take. My guess is that each one of them is their own thing for a podcast. Mm -hmm. I'll try to make it more concrete by looking at some possible sources for books, maybe in those two broad areas. If you guys think of anything that you already know of or stumble upon, let me know.
1: Okay. I think both are interesting. There's also another angle you can take it. I think we talked about this before is the whole, there's man against man, that's competition, right? Then there's man against nature. So there's a whole bunch of quote unquote sport books that are about like rock climbing, you know, just the psychological and and philosophical approach to these kinds of activities, extreme, you know, mountain climbing, those kinds of things. Then there's fandom Then there's gaming too, which would, I guess, not technically be sport, but would fall in the realm of competition, but without having the physical aspect. So, you know, the Wittgensteinian kind of game kind of thing. So there's lots of different ways to approach the topic. Maybe it's a blend and maybe we focus on one track. But to me, the fandom thing is particularly acutely interesting because it's been so painful for me in my life to be a fan of teams that have perennially underachieved and just being completely unable to become disinterested in them and become interested in another team that's actually winning. I just can't seem to do it. So there's a pathological behavioral aspect to it that I'm keen to understand.
0: There is a journal of the philosophy of sport that I found online.
1: I will say I've cracked a few books on philosophy of sport and been not just disappointed, but tediously disappointed, just FYI. The ones that I've seen, the people think that let's just say they take it as a license to not be as disciplined philosophically as they could be and a little more indulgent on their biographical so you know if somebody's going to talk about cycling they're going to have to tell you all about their own interest in cycling experience with cycling why they love cycling and, they came in and it becomes as much biographical as anything else
0: There's probably somebody who is a writer in this area or somebody if you wanted to have just like, what is the state of philosophy in this area? Not that that is maybe the you know, that might be too wide to be interesting, but like, are there a couple really good articles and sort of what are the approaches? At least that's, as somebody who's interested in philosophy as opposed to the actual topic. But then what you were describing about fandom, like, I think you started scoping a pretty much pop episode. I'd be, if you don't fit that on on this thing, which again, we've all decided that we should have probably two vacations a year at least, and so I'm trying to take mine coming up. So that's the thing that is after race and before philosophy of science, which is the slot that we were talking about right now.
1: I'm always game for uh, pretty much pop. You know me, Mark. So anything you want to jump on,
0: if it does not re- involve reading a whole other book, which was which is why well, I this thought thing that was law. the whole
1: point of that podcast was that you you're not reading yes. a whole other books, but just commenting yep, it, off exactly. the cuff on cultural things.
0: Well, it's not so off the cuff, but it's the research is, is limited. Yeah. Let me ask you guys. I'm actually recording a, uh, philosophy versus improv as soon as we get off here. And I want to make my point something about the relationship between reason and emotion and just that whole point that you might think that they're just opposed and that f- their feelings. Emotions are just feelings. They're entirely non cognitive, but no, they're, they all have some sort of judgments within them. So I know we did some Spinoza and we talked about Bob Solomon and any other points you remember from this topic that I should try to include or how good is your memory of this topic? How would you sum up? Do you even know what I'm talking about?
3: I thought I had some thought on the thoughts on this. I'm trying to remember them. You could see rationality as a subcategory of desire. So. There's relevance to both Plato and Freud. Like for Freud, everything is made of libido. Like that's the clay out of which everything else is constructed. And then the ego and rational faculty is sort of, and there's a kind of pragmatist element to this, right? The rational faculty is kind of constructed out of the way that the libido bumps up against the world. And so, for instance, we start, when we deliberate, we start being able to, use hypothetical reasoning and and not just act on a given desire to weigh future benefits against present benefits. But there's still always desire implicated in rationality. And as Hume would say, you know, right, it has to ultimately, it has to be motivated. I don't know. Those are some vague thoughts on Stanley Rosen, who said, like, desire, if you're thinking of platonic parts of the soul, desire is like really the eros that part of the soul is not really just separated off from the others it's part it's implicated in in both thumos and and reason so
0: what else do you guys remember about this topic seth and dylan dylan was not around when we did spinoza on emotions so i guess that was that's a long freaking time ago
1: i don't remember enough about spinoza's view or did you read solomon's the passions
0: ever when we were there that was his most famous book
1: no you know what i never did it's we should do that. Mm-hmm.
0: That was on our list for a long time and then somebody emailed us and said, "Well, that's okay, but there's actually it's a controversial position and there's better stuff. So maybe read some of the passions and here's some other articles."
3: And then I also like Jack Katz's book on the emotions. He's the guy Seth I think he read The Seductions of Crime. He's the guy mm-hmm. who wrote that. He wrote a great little book on the emotions.
0: Hmm. Definitely not a bad area for us to revisit since clearly we do not have it top of mind. <laughs> I have enough to fuel this Zero prep podcast that I'm about to record because <laughs> we can just play with it.
2: You should tap into what we did with Martha Nussbaum on anger, her anger book.
0: Yes, that was very relevant. What, what is the salient point that you remember out of that?
2: One of the things for her, which was just that we shouldn't be necessarily just trying to quell anger. Anger is a, a useful emotion, it's a meaningful emotion. I mean, that's a little bit of a trivial output, but that's one of it.
3: She kind of defends the Aristotelian position that anger is always the result of being slighted, Mm
2: -hmm.
3: which is feeds into the whole Hegelian recognition as well, and the thematic part of the soul. Anger is related to spiritedness and to the recognition of others, which, in a way, you know, Lacan would say, is the desire of the other. Right? We want to, in some ways, you know, to be a subject is to be situated within the desire of the other, within their gaze. To use popular contemporary lingo. So what we want is not simple because it's related to what others want and we internalize those things, we identify with those things. and
0: So maybe to generalize that, I think that certainly all emotions involve judgments. So, right, your anger is misplaced if the person really didn't slight you Mm -hmm. or, and likewise happiness, if it is based on a lie, you know, I'm happy with my relationship, but I don't know that the person is actually a Russian spy that is just using me to get to my state secrets that I have.
3: And we can also lie to ourselves about what we want. So we could be unhappy delusionally too,
0: but it still, it makes it seem like still the emotion is not through and through laced with reason with reasons. It's just dependent on reasons. And so given that there are reasons. My correctly assessing a situation can make me happy, whatever, but maybe the happiness, you could still say on that, the happiness or the anger or whatever is still just a feeling. It is just, I guess the therapy of desire part of it maybe is irrelevant to that, that it just says that it's not that this model of emotions are just this irrational thing that's flailing around and you need to use reason, stoicism or whatever to just overcome them. You need to engage them in what their reasons are. I mean, is that capturing the sort of therapy of desire point?
2: I'm not sure I completely understood you, but I mean, the therapy of desire idea is that our emotions, our desiring parts of our soul is something that has to get cultivated and trained in a kind of continuous way. That's the therapy part, right? You don't just learn it and you walk away, right? It's you're constantly working with it but it does need work. It's like, it's like habit.
3: Like the stoic version of that, which falls within this virtue ethics realm is that the way we feel about the world is predicated on our judgments. And if we can have rational judgments about the world, we can be happy and not perturbed and all that stuff. So part of the therapeutic goal was to make better judgments. And that's kind of cognitive therapy these days. That's the idea behind that as well.
0: Yeah, the thing you described, Dylan, I think is compatible with the idea that emotions are just irrational, wild animals. Like, you got to be training your dog on a consistent basis in order to make it do what you want. And so if that involves a, a remove from our own emotions that they are these wild things that we need to train them. But what Wes was saying about, no, 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 part of the way that you train them is you tell them the truth is you somehow, if you are angry about something, then it might be a result of wrong attitudes, right? This is a Buddhist thing too. All your suffering is based on wrong beliefs. If you can just change your beliefs, which doesn't involve just somebody telling you the truth, it does have to be internalized through a therapeutic practice, like you were saying.
2: I think that characterizing the emotions as being like wild animals that aren't subject to reason isn't correct because the fact that they are subject to being fenced in and affected by reason means that they're not fundamentally irrational. Otherwise, they wouldn't be affected by reason at all. And the second point would be that it comes from telling the truth. It has nothing to do with telling the truth. It has to do with speaking to the desiring parts of our soul in a way that it understands, which is why it has to have the therapy. And the fact is, is you could apply something like cognitive therapy or those kinds of things to cultivate things in your soul that are completely at odds with the truth. It's not that the soul is somehow... You do
3: suck. Yeah, I mean, you can. telling 10, yourself right? that you don't suck.
2: Yes, I mean, in fact, in some ways, it's exactly in understanding that, that you realize that something like therapy of the soul in the right direction, where you are cultivating in a way that's guided by rationality towards the good and that that's Mm -hmm. the act you're doing. That's what the cultivation of habits is about, but is acknowledging that you can cultivate bad habits too. In fact, if you don't do this, then you're going to sort of end up with a kind of willy-nilly ad hoc soul and could easily be cultivating terrible things for yourself. But the mechanism is still the same has nothing to do with telling the soul the truth, and the soul follows the truth. That's just, in fact, if anything, the therapy of desire says that's just not true. The soul doesn't follow the truth, and the soul follows what it, what it is
0: habituated to. I mean, if you're Plato, then the soul follows the truth. <laughs> but if you're... I mean, for
3: Aristotle, right, Aristotle thought that habituation was subject to some extent to reason, but that a large part of it was upbringing. But that reason did have a role to play in rehabituating oneself.
2: Yeah. You could train yourself using the mechanism of reason, right?
3: Very hard as an adult. And if you're too messed up as a kid, then forget about it. But
0: All right. Well, thanks for warming me up on that. That's that's a fun topic to get into. I don't know if you guys have listened to any of those. I'm really unambitious in in how much philosophy I try to fit in there. I haven't yet. (laughs) Barest the barest little bit is enough for a novice, enough to play with. Cool, any last thoughts to get us through the next week before we talk again?
1: I have one, but I don't want to raise it because it's too big and and too gnarly, but I don't want you to think that I'm not thinking of things. I just had a funny experience this weekend. I'll give you a teaser and you can guess where it went. So you know, I was doing the ad for Wondrium, and I was trying to find, they have a documentary section now, you know, so I've been trying to look for the content there that I think is interesting. And they have a documentary called The Sixth Extinction. So there's supposedly been five major extinction events in the history of the world, at least as far as scientists argue about. And we're in the middle of what they call The Sixth. So I was like, oh, this would be interesting. And I just noticed as I wrote the copy, it was like, <laughs> at the end of this advertisement, You know, it was basically like, and human beings are driving themselves to extinction. You know, here, go sign up for a free month of Wondrium. And uh, (laughs) I realized that my proclivity for focusing on death and genocide and those sorts of things does not always make for great ad copy. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) And I had to (laughs) rewrite the entire ad. But yeah. I'm a little obsessed with uh, the human destruction of the planet and our own species right now, a little bit. So
3: when I hear that human beings are going extinct, it's like a little boost to my mood, actually,
1: (laughs) (laughs) sorry, I'm really reacting to this with just a bemused resignation. Like, well, (laughs) it'll all be over with soon. And then I can start all over again.
3: It's not going to be over with. I mean, any way you look at it, we are, we are like a, blip in cosmic time, right? You know? Five billion years or whatever to generate us. And then, you know,
0: how long are we really going to be around? Not very. See, this is making me think of the other thing that I'll just I'll just give a teaser to but could be a I've been listening to a lot of Devo. I'm interviewing sort of the main thinker, Gerald V. Casale. Really? Who That's came up awesome. with a lot of the the ideology of Devo and just the idea that we're devolving
3: Wait, Whippet Good? Whippet?
0: Yes, he, he wow. was the main writer on Whippet. Uh, That's awesome. Mother's Bow is the sort of more famous, the, who sang most of the leads, but he, uh, anyway, they both, they both wrote the songs. And, uh, so I've been, especially their early stuff before they were famous where it was, you know, very much laid out, you know, they're basically hippies. They were already in their thirties by the time Devo got famous, but the formula of, Everybody is stupid. We all obey our animal desires. We're all conformists. There's a lot of play that you can have within the rock and roll space for that.
3: When so you say whip you it good, at, do you mean whip it well or do you mean that you can make people good by whipping?
0: <laughs> that was Yeah. That was a, a Reagan-esque <laughs> positive spin. Can do the kind of slogan that mm. is uh completely empty.
1: Mm. So I just have to tell you, Mark, I was a huge Devo fan and I know probably 20 of their songs lyrically by by heart. Um, wow. Oh yeah, no, I love Devo. If you can ever find it, when Saturday Night Live was nascent, they had some competitors and there was one Fridays. 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 On Fridays. Yes. So Devo, I'm pretty sure it was on Fridays and not on Saturday Night Live. I think Devo was on Fridays and they had this it was one of the first times I ever saw them. They had these like escalator walkways that led up to their instruments, and they were marching and playing on the thing, and then they'd stop and roll back, and then just got, and it was it was you know when they had the little red hats and the jumpsuits kind of a thing, and I can't remember which songs they did, but um, if you can ever find that on YouTube or anywhere on the internet, you should go watch it because it's just a phenomenal performance, particularly situated in time. Thinking about it, it's like eleven o'clock at night on a Friday or midnight and this, these guys in jumpsuits wearing plastic red caps come out and play this kind of music. That's just never been played before. It's awesome. They're awesome. Yeah.
0: Well, good. That's some hype for that. That'll, that'll come out in about gates of steel, three months, whatever. <laughs> whatever. That. I have a long, long lag time on those working in a coal mine, going down and down. Thanks guys. Thanks supporters. Nightcaps are
1: fun. All right. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Enjoy the end of the world. (laughs) Bye-bye.